Welcome, travelers. I'm Lee Wanika. And I'm Josh. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Wanika, nice to see you again. Today we are going to be talking about the rogue class as it appears in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. And we're going to be breaking down all of the subclasses that are available for the rogues. Liwanika, why don't we start by talking a little bit about how we made the decisions uh, and ranking them from 1 to 9. Let's see. So the rogue, uh, I want to start by saying it is my absolute favorite class. It's the class that I have almost always played. Um, in almost every game, I play some version of the rogue or some, if I have to play another class, I play that other class with a side of rogue. The beauty of it is rogues can be the everyman, and that's why I love them. With subclasses and their systems, the idea is how can you flavor something that can be everything? And then how do you mechanically support that? Those are really the big factors in how we came up with our ranking systems with a little side piece of, hey, have we ever played this before? Have we played it a lot? Do we really want to play this? Do we have no interest in playing this? I think that's huge. And we both factored that into how we made our decisions and how to rank these. The thing that that brings me to a rogue over other classes is that I want to play a character that has versatility, that uh, a character that um, that has a specialty and that uh, works in a particular swim lane, but that it has a lot of tools to get the jobs that they're trying to do completed. And so I think that uh, when we start getting into, into my rankings, that heavily favors into um, how I considered uh specifically the mechanical aspect of the rogues i started looking about how versatile are they versus how much do their mechanics sort of mandate choices that you have to make as you progress that character from level to level that very heavily weighed into into my rankings i agree and for me the discussion about mechanics and i want to make this point very clear for our listeners is not is this good in a fight that's a very basic a very pedestrian way to look at mechanics. Does this help you deal more damage? Does this help you hit more frequently? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but that's not really what I'm looking at exclusively when I'm talking about mechanics. For me, mechanics is, does the mechanics of this class or subclass, the features, support the flavor text? Absolutely. Like if they're saying this is the kind of character that, causes fear and uh, causes terror in the hearts of his enemies, are there mechanics that would lead to that reaction? Absolutely. Does does the dice rolling support the role playing? And that's what I am talking about with mechanics. They are separate things. So some things have more flavor than mechanics. Some things have more mechanics than flavor. That does happen. But I consider them separate. But my definition of mechanics is, does it support the flavor? 
Absolutely. And I think that specifically when we get into the top tier of our ratings and the subclasses that we liked more than anything else, we didn't just like them because they're in vogue. We also liked them because of how strong their mechanics supported their narrative feel. Anybody that's listened to our show so far knows that we talk a lot about narrative feel behind these mechanics. And these ratings today are not going to be any exception. No, in fact, it, it is the natural extension of all those other conversations we've had and I think likely will have moving forward. Yep. This methodology, by the way, we're not just ranking rogues this way. Our goal is to rank all 13 classes by the same mechanics yep. or by the same method. We won't do them all back to back, but over the course of the next year, you're going to see more rankings and you're going to see them done in this fashion. And by all means, comment on this one, our first one. Let us know what you think. We'll probably do a side quest with the community's thoughts on this once we get a, a really good sense of what people are doing. So hit us Absolutely. with those thoughts. All right, so let's dive in. So we're going to go through the subclasses as they appeared chronologically. So the first one that we're going to dive into is the Thief from the original Player's Handbook. Uh, Lee Wanika, why don't you give me your thoughts? Really, basically, the Thief is really basic. It's it really is, yeah. Fair to Midland. I have very little I can say that's negative about this. In fact, I have nothing to say negative about this. Unfortunately, I just don't have anything that I particularly really, really like. Yep. I would say the best thing I can say about this class is I have seen it used very well. It's just not a subclass that speaks to me as a player. Nope. Nope. It's not what I like about rogues. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I played in first edition when you basically had to be this. And I always railed against it. I always yep. told people, I'm, you know, when you got to pick which of your these skills you put percentage points into, I was always the one that put zero percentage into picking pockets. Pick a pocket. It just exactly. annoyed me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am I'm totally with you also. I, I don't think that I have ever played this sort of rogue, the thief rogue, but it is it is very much a trope. It is very much the the kind of stereotypical, I mean, in D&D 2, class wasn't called rogue. It was called thief, wasn't it? Absolutely correct. Yeah. So And so like the shift from calling it a thief to calling it a rogue, that is something that they, they did that to go ahead and add more versatility and to to take away the stigma necessarily that rogues have to, rogues have to be bad guys. A thief is undoubtedly a bad guy, right? For, for the most part. If you are picking pockets, if you are, uh, I mean, they get benefits to their climb speed so they can go ahead and sneak in windows. They get all these things that make them tailored to steal from other players in the world. That is a bad action. Like there's there's no real two ways to go ahead and slip about that, right? And so sure, sometimes you can get the 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 lawful neutral thief who, you know, the Robin Hood type, right? But but they're never going to be you're never going to have a good thief. Thieves are bad. Ergo, this is this can't be a good character. And boy, uh, the one thing that really stuck out, and it's interesting going back and reading these characters kind of um now uh, with a different eye. Man, is the thief so heavily based in dexterity? I mean, it, for for a for a class which is already really dexterity based, the thief every ability that they've got is like, nope, you need a dexterity save or you need a dexterity check or you know your dexterity. If you're not if you're playing a thief and your dexterity is not maxed out by level eight or whatever, you can go ahead and, and max it out by. You are you are not fully realizing how to play this thief. Like that's it's a it is absolute requirement. 
I would agree. And, and there's a discussion, a deeper and greater discussion to be held about the power of various stat abilities mm-hmm. and their modifiers. Does certain stats then allow certain classes to be OP? I've sat at many tables where whoever's playing the rogue, whatever subclass they play, lands the big hit or does the big thing, and everybody's like, I can't roll 30s. <laughs> like, that just doesn't happen. But yet, invariably, I would say, arguably, the first player character to consistently roll in the high 20s uh, or right around 30 is going to be your rogue. Potentially your your bard, going back to 2E, bards and thieves were actually part of the same grouping. They were one thing. I think that's where that comes from. Um, Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Um, Another discussion for another day. I will simply, in this discussion, say it is a thing. So we need to be aware that dexterity positively impacts nearly every class here to some extent. And I think where you see mechanical step backs or fall downs is when you see the need to branch out and away from dexterity. I think that's a piece of 5e that is the undercurrent for little issues that people have with it overall, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's just the way the mechanics work for what's generally speaking, a really, really good game. Yep. And I think that it's safe to say that as the base level rogue, as kind of like the entry point rogue, um, I rated this as as the lowest uh, the lowest ranked subclass within the genre. Did you rank it around the same? It was tied for the bottom for me yeah. with okay. the the next one we're going to talk talk about. Okay. And like I said, it's just not in my wheelhouse. I, yep. I mean, it's okay if you're starting yeah. and you don't know what you're going to do. I guess I'd probably rather play a, a thief rogue than many other classes or subclasses yep. not all yep but i'd rather play a thief than many other subclasses interesting <laughs> so the next one on the list here is the assassin and that's interesting to hear that you had the assassin and the thief tied for the very bottom i actually had the assassin ranked if we're going one through nine i had it ranked at number four this was one of mm-hmm. my favorite subclasses in the list and again I, I i know you were talking about how mechanics from uh from a point of view of of combat is kind of the lazy way to look at it and these characters are death-dealing machines from the early get-go. And if you are playing a, an assassin character, and again, these are really likely to be bad guys, right? But they are dealing death from the shadows, from afar, and then disappearing from a really early level, which is, which is, it, it is, it is impressively robust early levels. And even as... Uh, as the characters go on, when you when you look at their seventeenth level ability, Death Strike, I think when we look at some other subclasses and we compare seventeenth level abilities, so Death Strike is basically at seventeenth level they can double their damage dice. So we're talking about so it's basically it's an it's an automatic it, for all intents and purposes it's an automatic critical hit on a success if you're using Death Strike. And if I remember correctly. Deathstrike also says that you're rolling that attack with advantage and that if it hits, it does double damage. That is a mechanically huge advantage to that. To that result. Absolutely. And, and in my way of thinking, I did rank mechanics and to some extent the flavor. I mean, like you said, you're playing a bad, bad guy. Yeah. There's nothing about these mechanics that does not support that. 
I actually ranked that quite highly. What I found was the issue is I have very little interest of, in playing yep. that. I totally that agree with guy. you. Yeah. Yep. As DM, I love using that guy. <laughs> but let's be honest. When I sit at a table and I'm not behind the screen, I want to play the hero. I want to play the good guy. And I'm not downing anybody who likes playing the morally gray or those other yep. areas. I do morally gray often. Yep. But assassin to me is something that's a little different. I would use other subclasses or other classes slash subclasses to get certain skill sets to be yep. that yep. or to do that without having some of the details of this. Yep. Or if I had this, I would do it in a multi-class fashion, playing a slightly higher level where it's like, I did this for a long time. I don't do this anymore. That kind of thing. Like, this is where I was. Like, uh, almost like um, a built-in redemption saga. Yep. That's kind Absolutely. of how I would play that. Along um, those imagine lines, a character that's like an eighth-level rogue assassin that then switches to become like an Order of Vengeance paladin. Yep. Or... Uh, or a monk or something like that. Like, I actually would go yeah. the route of the monk. Like I used to, I yep. used to be this negative person yep. and now I don't want to do that anymore. I think some of the dexterity things that mechanically really aid the monk in, yep. in that fashion, you can then say, look, I don't do this anymore, but this is where I came from. There's a good, there's a nice campaign or story arc for the guy that gets called back into service that was trying yep. to retire there. You're still just trying to build Steven Seagal. We know that. It's okay. I'm, Almost always trying to build Steven Seagal. <laughs> An eighth level assassin with two levels of monk and the chef feet. Exactly. You know, it's like, There's nothing wrong with it. I see that. I would play that. Please DMs out there. Let me play that. Um, you know, you know, with that, I might actually go ahead because you said that I might actually increase my, you know, do, do I want to play, play it? Because I could see me doing it for that purpose. But, so um, the, the scores are already locked in. You can't go. So. I can't change. No, that's but right. essentially that's where this kit fell down for me. It's something that's very mechanically sound, very flavorfully sound. Yep. It's just not the class. It's just not me. something I want to play. Yep. And I and because of that, it tied with Thief. So moving hey. on, we go, we jump into Arcane Trickster. And I think you and I, if I remember from looking at your notes briefly, uh, differed on this one a bit. We did, yeah. I, I actually thought the mechanics were lackluster. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, not necessarily bad, but I thought they were lackluster. And I'll explain why in a moment. Whereas I thought the flavor was good. And Normally, those things should go together, but I think there's a disparity here. And in my mind, there's a disparity here because I love the concept of the rogue that uses magic. And I am not 100% sure whether it is specifically the spell choice, the lack of spell versatility, yep, or just the simple, it's a third caster. So the amount or lack thereof amount of spells this character gets, that makes this fall down for me. Yeah. If I really wanted somebody who just kind of walked through the market and did little side tricks to uh, rob a purse here or there, I would not use this class. I would do right. something else and take a feat that gave me the tricks I needed. Well, especially now that Tasha's has the magic initiate feats and stuff like that, you can replicate the abilities of this subclass in a different way without having to take this subclass. Like you can take the thief subclass that gives you better abilities to do those things and take mage initiate that gives you the ability to go ahead and cast cantrips and stuff like that. So I, I agree with you on, on that. I, and it's, it's funny. 
while I scored its mechanics higher than the flavor, the flavor was pretty much bottom of the barrel um, in terms of what I thought it was bringing. And its mechanics were very middle of the road. Um, and the the saving grace for its mechanics were the spell thief ability, which I think is fabulous. Um, the ability to see another spellcaster, cast a spell, make, an, make a, a, a skill check, and then be able to cast that spell. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. I think, and that was really, that's really kind of the, um, that was the saving grace for this character from a mechanical point of view. I think it's a decent middle of the road option instead of multi-classing as a thief and spellcaster because of the, because the inherent uh, negatives of multi-classing. And so I think that this is a good compromise, but the problem is that an arcane trickster is neither a good thief nor a good spellcaster. I would disagree in that I would rather multi-class as a thief and a spellcaster because I'm going to have a better choice of spells. Let's just take wizard as an example. Yeah. Right. I'm a thief, especially if you start thief, right? So you get all your thief skills. Yep. You get all your bonuses. You, you start as a thief, you're a dex based thief. Mm -hmm. You at some point multi-class into wizard. If you are a 10th level five, five, you're a better rogue and a better spellcaster doing a, a rogue and any other thief subclass and a better spellcaster just by being a fifth level wizard than you would ever be as an arcane trickster. Right. The only exception is you don't get that spell thief ability. Yep. And I would agree with you. That is a fantastic mechanic. It is literally the only thing that would ever make me want to take this class. Yep. It is actually a class I've actually been interested in playing and it is exclusively for that ability. Yep. And I think I would have to do this as multi-classing as something else, perhaps yep. a ranger, not b- because it's also a, thir- a third caster. So it doesn't impact my spell choices or yep. my spell abilities per se, yep. or spell spell numbers, but just to improve my thiefliness, yep. uh, so I, to I, speak. Yeah. And, and then have that. And I would not consider myself a ranger whatsoever. No, it would just give me a little more versatility with a little more versatility. Exactly. As an alternative to a, like a, like a gnome illusionist build, taking this instead of taking a gnome rogue plus wizard or wizard or rogue plus sorcerer or something like that. You know, I think that there are arguments to be made on, on, on both sides, but at the end of the day, I still ranked this uh, only one level above the thief. I thought that this was kind of not the bottom of the barrel, but just just floating on top of the sky. And honestly, it's the fact that one mechanic is that good. Yeah. And the fact that that one mechanic makes me want to play it at least once. Yep. Is why it ranks higher than both the thief and the assassin for me is because that's cool. So next on our list, we had another class a subclass that you and I did not necessarily agree on uh, from a from a from a ranking point of view and this is um, our first one from Xanathar's uh, the mastermind now I actually, actually allow me to interrupt you for just a yeah. moment it is not only from Xanathar's its actual first appearance was in sword coast was in sword coast fair so enough yep. Skag. it then was re- reappeared in Xanathar's guide Yep, and I believe that's its last appearance. I yep. don't think it was in Tasha's, but it was not in Tasha's. You were saying the mastermind as a subclass is a subclass that I really, really, really wanted to like, and I like it 
and honestly, the, the, the highest score in my ranking that this one got was kind of in that, that wowie factor or in its wildcard category, because I like this class more than its mechanics actually support. I kept trying to, as I was going through potential builds in my mind, I kept trying to find a way to give the mastermind some ability to use the, the characteristics of the subclass with like an animal companion or something like that, something that would allow it to go ahead and use its help action and stuff like that um outside of the outside of just the party that it's traveling with spoiler alert this is one of my absolute favorite subclasses this is actually the first 5e subclass and character i ever played and i have from the very first time i sat down and rolled dice to this very day never been disappointed with this class there is a caveat to that and that caveat to that is this is a class and this is where its mechanics tend to fall down. We ranked that a little bit differently. I think you ranked it a little harsher than I did, but I get it. Um, so while I disagree, I understand and I actually agree. Um, it is a subclass that is dependent on the ingenuity of the player and the ability of the dm to adapt and create situations keeping things fair but create situations where this is is that its mechanics are useful um what i will say is i played this character exclusively in adventure league i use this character as an npc in my current campaigns that i run i've talked about him in previous podcasts but Essentially, what I did with the mastermind is I did two things. I used a soldier background, and I said he was he was an officer. I then continually put him in positions where he was basically directing traffic in combat. I made sure that I utilized all of his abilities in great ways in Adventure League. Situation came up. I was like, odds should be against us. This is a slog fight. Capture people. I'll impersonate them. We'll get closer. I'll be in position. We'll be in position. Those are the types of things that I did. And a mastermind is exceptional at doing those things. A DM who understands that if you sound like a person or sound like a, a given accent and you can use your disguise abilities to look like somebody or look like a given thing, a DM who's understanding of how powerful that can be, especially when you're going against some secret faction where everybody wears masks and, and robes. <laughs> You know, they're not going to know. I created the situation where we basically chewed in half the party as though they were captured yep. until we were surrounding the spellcasters and won the day. I don't think I could have done that with any other rogue rogue subclass. Well, you could do it with the assassin, though, because the assassin can do the same thing. They can also, in fact, and they're better at it. They just don't get it until later levels when well, they can they can take time and they can build themselves the perfect dossier of who they are and, and you're it is and you're, infallible and you are absolutely correct an assassin can be better at it they can do it with less chance of getting caught all of those things and this is the big difference and like i said i did this in adventure league not a not a homebrew campaign and this is what makes the difference in the adventure that we were in we were on a time limit did not have two months to build a dossier yep fair we were actually in the woods beat some bad guys, had to go down the hill and stop a ritual from taking place then and there. Not a dang thing an assassin is going to do better than a mastermind in that particular circumstance. Yep, 
Uh, um, fair enough. The, the mastermind definitely does have, it's got the most potential. And I think that this is why I say that I like the character. I love the concept of the subclass and I just wish that I liked the mechanics a little bit more. What did you rank the mastermind at? Uh, I ranked it sixth. Yeah. So just so, above the arcane trickster. For me, the mastermind tied at number two. Moving on, right. I think let's jump next to the other is, one from Skag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh boy, one, one we both have a lot of love for. Oh, the Swashbuckler ranked highest among all the subclasses of the subclasses that I want to or enjoy playing. It was number one in my do I want to play this ranking? Yeah, for me, uh, I'll just say this about Swashbucklers I grew up watching old 1950s and 1960s Sinbad the Sailor, I grew up watching Treasure Island. I grew up watching Kidnapped, reading Kidnapped, reading Robert Louis Stevenson. I live for those things. For those who grew up in the 80s, Treasure Planet, I am all about it. For those of you who grew up in the 90s and the early 2000s, Pirates of the Caribbean, I love this subclass, period. I can tell you, as somebody who plays a swashbuckler right now, they are so much fun. Now, where it lost points was in the mechanics. Uh, and and again, I, I'm going to be a little trite here, I think, when I say this. As much fun, as much narrative fun as the swashbuckler is, and uh, as as much as the the mechanics really do support the swashbuckler archetype, the swashbuckler at the end of the day is a one-trick pony. It can run in, it can do damage, and it can hide. And that's what it does. And boy, you had better hope that that one trick works. Because if you run in and you go to stab the stab the bad guy, and the bad guy says, oh, who are you? Smack, because you're dead. You are flat out dead. And there are, there as you gain levels, because uh, now that character's around level 9 or 10, as you gain levels, there are ways to help that, to help from being dead immediately. But boy, until you get to level eight or nine, you are you are in danger of being squished every single time. And you are only effective if you are in melee combat, and you are only effective if you can get into melee combat, do your thing, and then hide. I so concur with everything you just said. By the way, all of those things also apply to the mastermind. I, as the person who fell down in nearly every combat until fourth level, I will tell you it is identical. The, the two are so alike in that regard. But back to the swashbuckler, I think it is so important to note that I rank the mechanics exceptionally high because of how they support the, how they support uh, the flavor. However, you are correct. As good as the mechanics are in support, they are very limiting in play. Yep. And that is something for people who are interested in playing this to take note. If you're yep. doing a one shot, jump all over this. Yep. If it's a short term kind of thing, like two, three sessions, jump all over this. Yep. Long term campaign, you had better find ways, hooks, or feats to give you other options. Yep. Or when you're in combat situations, you're going to have a level of boredom. I'm not going to say you're going to be bored. You're going to have a level of boredom. You're going to have you're also a really going to be higher level of risk. Yeah. Um. And again, the quality of your DM, the type of campaign, if those things fit or match yep. thematically, it will make that even easier or even a non-issue. 
that said, you're going to love this, this this character. You're going to have fun with this character. What oh, it does in the so exploration much. standpoint, what it does in the social standpoint is amazing. You pick the right background to go along with this, yep. either in conjunction or, or against type with this. And again, you're going to have options. But yep. the easiest way to mitigate some of those issues that Josh mentioned uh, that I also uh, reiterated is make some of your other selections pick up for that ground. Yep. You get feats and I know not all DMs allow them. So I guess that's where I say, if you have the right DM, if you're in a game that has feats, take some feats that don't play into this, but pick up another element, give you something else to do in combat, take a background that's slightly different. I did the mastermind. I took soldier because it gave me a way to do what he's doing and not be a criminal mastermind. He was yep. an officer. He was an intelligence officer. Yeah. And, and tough is a fantastic feat for this character. Tough. Yeah, tough lucky. would be a great one for this. I mean, how tough. many pirates do you see that look weak? Oh, there's God. a few, yeah, yeah. but there's also just as many who are big, yep. burly, tough guys. So, lucky is a great one. Tavern brawler is a great one. Uh, any of the, fe- the, the, the new feats from, from Tasha's. Crusher, Piercer, Benny, Oh, exactly. Or, uh, you know, even like the psionic feats, like the ability to go ahead and push a character away from you. Like if you're not successfully hiding and they come up on you and then as a free action, you can push them. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Like that's so many great things in Tasha's that help your swashbuckler builds. And there are a million and six roughly swashbuckler builds on the internet. So if you're thinking about playing a swashbuckler, my best advice to you is do your homework. Look for a build that you like. Look for a build that speaks to you. And then against your better impulses, stick to the build, stick to it. Because if, if you try to deviate from it, it's, it's going to, it'll make it messy. It'll make it messy. Right. And, and I would add to that part of this is a shameless plug for a previous episode, but <laughs> work your background. You pick yep. the right background. And you will have something that really works nicely with this. And for DMs out there that are getting involved with Tasha's, if you have the right patron for your sailing ship or for your party, uh, again, that can do wonders. Swashbuckler really benefits from patron. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some sidekicks. Awesome. Yep. Pets. What pirate doesn't need a bird? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Or a monkey. I actually think monkey would be cooler. Or even a weasel, a little Poto Koto action there. Okay, I think we're going to go ahead and leave it there because we have certainly beaten the swashbuckler to death talking about it. We're going to end episode one here, and we're going to pick up with the second part of our rogue subclass discussion next week. We will finish off the subclasses which are featured in Xanathar's and the Sword Coast Guide, and then go into the subclasses that are featured in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Really looking forward to that discussion. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. And just as a reminder, you can find us at our website, ttjourneys.com. We're also active on Twitter at ttjourneys. Active on our Facebook group at ttjourneys. And you can certainly email us at ttjourneys at gmail.com. Additionally, you can subscribe to our podcast at many locations. We are currently available on Stitcher, iTunes, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to leave us likes and comments. We welcome both, 
and they're both great ways to support the channel, support what we do, and get more wonderful, great content and interaction with your hosts. Thanks again for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. And in the words of another traveler, we bid you shade and sweet water.